Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. If you have the um, the source sheet in front of you, wonderful. Uh, the source sheet was sent out in the Shabbat bulletin. If you don't have the source sheet, that's okay, because part of what we wanted to do with this format for Shabbat learning is allow us to spend more time on the actual learning that we're going to do, which to me means spending more time on the verses than necessarily the commentary. So though I supplied you with many commentaries, um, not as many as last week, for those of you who were with us last week, but I did supply you with many commentaries, this the the idea of what we're going to do right now is we're going to go through, and for those of you who have done class with Rabbi Shapiro and I, we're going to take a little bit of that method, where we are going to look at the verses from the Torah. I'm going to ask you to ask the group, Kushiot, good questions that you have about these verses, things that you're wondering now that you're listening to them. And then we'll go into some of the different commentaries based on the questions that you have and based on the questions that I'm coming to this studying with. Um, one of the one of the things I want to point out before we begin is that I was explaining this to my grandparents last night that when when I think about giving a drash or doing some kind of teaching, I often look for verses that are new to me. I mean, I've I've read through Parshio many, many times, but there are there are always verses that pop out to me that I always think, wow, I've never thought about that before, or wow, I've never read that that way. And for some reason this week, these verses, which I've read many times and gone into many times, seemed to be particularly relevant. For some reason, I just kept coming back to them. And sometimes that's the most important part of Torah, is that, sure, there are verses that you're going to gloss over, and your entire life you might not pick up on every single verse of Torah. But then there are there are these moments in Torah that are known to us, that if we never focus on them because we think they're known to us, they're just going to become verses that we gloss over. So... We're going to focus on certain aspects of these verses, but I just wanted to point out that I know that this is a very learned group of people, and these verses will not be new to you, but that I that I ask of you to think of them the way that I did this week, which was, how do they now look to me? How are they new this Shabbat than they were any other week that I might have read them in the Parsha? So if you don't have the source sheets in front of you, we're going to be looking at chapter 28 of Breshi, the beginning of this Parsha, of Parshat Vayetze, literally the first verse of this Parsha, verses 10 through 17. So again, chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. Um, I asked Kenji to allow you all to unmute, uh, not to have to raise your hand, because I can't actually see everyone. Again, a, a lovely... A lovely blessing when there are more than than twenty people here. Um, so if if you would like to say something when we get to that point, just feel free if you're comfortable doing so, unmuting. Uh, and and if people start talking over one another, I'll just call on you. 
Okay, so this is the first verse of this week's Parsha, which is why it's called Vayetze. Often our Parshiot are named for the first word or two. Jennifer Lowe, don't unmute yet. Okay. Oh. <laughs> um, not saying anything. I, I know, I know. But if you do say something, then... then okay. Um, so, Vayetze Yaakov mi be'er shava harana. So, Jacob went out... He left Be'er Sheva and he went towards Haran. The hay at the end of a place always means towards that place. Okay, so if you are, for example, going down south, you would say Safona, right? Sorry, up north, you would say Safona. And if you were looking to go to the to the south, you would say Doroma, right? You would say down to the south. So the, the the hey at the end of these words allows us to know, as um, as my teacher would say, uh, Zioni Zevit would say, uh, Haran word, which is not really English. So towards Haran is the way that I wrote out the the translation. Okay, so he's left and he's going towards Haran. Vayifga b'makom vayelen sham kiva hashemesh vayikach me'avne hamakom. He came upon the place. I, I'm going to read my translation because I put it put it this way specifically. He came upon in the place. Okay, so ba mama ba ma Okay, so inside this place. I realize that some of this isn't easy English. And lodged there violin sham. When the sun had set, is how JPS translates it, but Bo means come. So the idea of the sun setting or the sun coming, I'm not really sure what they meant there, but let's just go with set. And he took from one of the stones of that place, and he put it from under his head, and he lay down in that exact place. Okay. If you have the source sheet in front of you, you've seen that this verse is red. So we're going to focus on this verse, but I'm going to go on for two more, uh, um, a few more verses, and we'll go back to this verse. But this is going to be one of the two verses we're really focusing on. sulam, and he dreamt, and behold, there was a sulam. Mutsav artsa verosho magia hashemaima. The sulam was on the ground, and its top reached the sky, and behold, angels of God were going up and going down it. And behold, God was standing on top of him. And he said, I am the Lord your God, the Lord of Abraham, your father, and of Isaac. Ha'aretz asher atashochev aleha, lecha etnena ulezar echa. This land that you are sleeping on, that you are laying on, I am going to give it to you, and I'm going to give it to your offspring. Okay, so let's just, actually, let's just stop right here. Any kushiot, any questions that you have about these verses thus far? And remember, just unmute because I can't see everybody. So don't raise your hand. Can I ask, um, what is the uh, focus on the stones as a pillow? It, it's a concept that 
I don't remember from anything we've read before in the Torah or anything after. Yeah, so clearly he has some kind of some kind of need for his head to be on something. Um, and the commentators actually will see, uh, Chizkuni says this later, that it wasn't just one stone. It was actually many stones that then kind of became one under his head in like a magical hocus pocus kind of way. Um, but it seems as though we usually use stones to make uh, altars, which is what's going to happen later on. So it's possible that the stone was there for him to put his head on, but then he realized that it was needed for the altar, which is why it's mentioned in both places. Possible. Something you just said. Yeah. Um, when you said many stones, which became one. Yeah. Made me think about idols. Mm-hmm. Many. Mm-hmm. And then he had a, a you know, a, Dream about God, the one. Yeah. So yeah. it just made a metaphor for me. Very interesting. Yeah, it's right. So the this idea that maybe he is having an intimate moment with God, and yet that which he is laying on or that which is around him is is not as recognized by the connection that he has with God, right? That God is this holy being, this one being, and the stones potentially are different are different idols. Um, I don't know which of the Hermans wanted to speak. Yeah, Diane. So two questions. First question, is it really a ladder? Right. Um, um, because um, Alter translates it as a ramp and says it's more like a ramp, like a ziggurat. Yeah. Um, and apparently it's a word that only appears here in no other place. Yeah. So, and the second question is, why, why is the dream here? Um, and is this a suggestion that that the God character is geographically limited because Levan later on in the part that we actually read has a dream also, but only at a certain geographic point as though he had crossed over to the point where God actually reigns and, and God comes to warn him about how he deals with Jacob. So, yeah, I think that we're going to see a lot of... Uh, not necessarily an answer to that question, but we're going to see a lot of why here, why now, why this place, why is so specified. We're going to see a lot of that, it, not only in the next verses, but also in the commentaries. And then the reason, to go back to your Sulam question, the reason I translated it as Sulam is because we don't know. It's what's called a hapax legamanon, which is a very fun word to say if you've never said it before. Um, and it means that it only appears once, so we don't actually know what it means. There's no context for what it means. And if we had been in person, um, one of the fun things that I've done with this Parsha and this verse in particular, or I guess uh, the third verse on the page in particular, is look at different artistic um, drawings or or paintings or whatever, whatever you, even... Um, even the song Stairway to Heaven, right? When you think about artistic renderings of this sulam, it's all different kinds of things. A pillar of light, a ramp, a staircase, no one knows. And it's beautiful to be able to come up kind of with your own midrash based on what it might have been based on these artists doing their midrash, right? Coming up with their own artistic ideas of what it could have been. But yeah, you're exactly right. Um, Alter might be right, JPS might be right. No one knows 
what it is because it's only used here and it's not the word that we use for any of those things nowadays. Rabbi Scott? Yeah, hold on one second. Larry, hold on one second. Larry and then Brand. Yeah. If one goes back to the end of Toldot, yeah. So you read that it was uh, Rivka who basically initiates the idea that, that Jacob should go to Levan. Right. And yes. So if you read it, it's like Rivka sends him off. But then she doesn't. Because what she does is she goes to Yitzchak and tells him that Jacob shouldn't stay. He should go get a, a wife from his family. Yeah. So it was Yitzchak who then tells Jacob to go. Yeah. So Jacob's going is his mother and father both telling him to go. This whole scene then puts it on, top, on him. It's his going that's the focus of what's happening here. So this is the initiation of making him the central focus, the central action character in our entire narrative. That's beautiful. That's very beautiful. And, and it's very different than the ways in which our other patriarchs have gone. Right? They've gone because someone has told them to, whether it's God or, or a family member. And, and this is really, you're right, this is really Jacob coming into his own, which is why he has this moment with God, because he's done it on his own and then can have that moment. That's beautiful. Yeah, Brent. I have uh, uh, two questions that come to mind when I, when I read these verses. One is the focus on sleep. Yeah, yeah. Is this the first time in the Torah when they focus on someone sleeping, you know, and what happens during sleep. And the second thing is, what's the significance of going, whether you call it a ladder or a pole or whatever, the angels were going both up and down. And that can't be insignificant, that they go both up and down. And what does that represent? And we all have dreams at night. But these are like prophetic dreams. They're not like purient dreams. They're not like child dreams. These are these are these are like holy dreams, and there must be something significant about the night sleeping and these these angels going both up and down. Great. So it isn't the first time that we hear of sleeping, but it is the first time that we that we hear of dreaming. Right. There's many moments, um, or I shouldn't say many. We're not that far into the Torah, but there are a few moments of sleeping or of uh, or of dwelling or of lodging somewhere, often with pretty negative outcome, right? So sometimes it's that Noah was sleeping and then, you know, not such great things happened with his children. So it's not, there hasn't been a case in which there's been much sleeping to be dreaming. So that you are picking up on. Um, the, the, Yordim, the Olim and Yordim is extremely interesting and we're gonna talk about that. One of my kushiot that brought this to life for me is the idea that they're going up and then they're going down. When you think about angels, you wouldn't think of them coming from the ground. You would think of them coming from the sky because of how we think of what angels are just based on really art probably that we've seen because we've never, never seen angels. But the idea of them flying, we think, okay, sky. So the, the interesting piece that that the angels are doing here is coming from the ground and then going up. And 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 we're gonna, before I say too much, we're going to get into that a little bit and why that's significant and what that might be, um, what that might be calling our attention to. 
I was thinking maybe it's something to do with the rise and fall of the Jewish people. Like he's seeing yeah, so in the Rabbi, future, there's going to be a climbing of the Jewish people, a destruction of the Jewish people, you know, that type of a rise and yeah. fall of society. There are rabbis, there are rabbis who say that. Um, it actually might be in the Eitz Chaim. That's the kind of thing that might be found in the Eitz Chaim. Um, but that, yes, the rise and fall in terms of our history, the rabbis have picked up on, oh, this might, this must be the way in which we know that there is going to be moments of success and moments of destruction. That for sure, the rabbis pick on pick up on that a lot. Jeff, did you have your? Yeah, great. Go ahead. So, is this the first place where one of the the names of God is Hamakom? And so, it happens here. It happens later at the the burning bush. How does that arise to become one of God's names? Right. Fantastic. So that is that is what we're going to focus on today. Um, that is the main the main focus of these verses to get us there. Not necessarily that the how, but the fact that it's there at all. And what does makom mean? And how does it play into the significance of this moment? Because what we notice here is that place is extremely important i forget who it was who brought this up but why here right why this place why this moment why these stones and all of that and then based on this interaction we use the name makom to refer to god in certain in certain aspects of our story as you've now mentioned one of which being the other very significant place where we have interaction with god, with god which is the burning bush so this this kind of uh, this partnership of place being important and and bringing God into the moment has allowed makom to be a word for God and a word of significance for that place. But that's exactly what we're going to get back to that. So keep that keep that question in mind. Any other questions before we go on to the next few verses here? No. Okay. I don't see any unmuting happening. Okay. Great. All right, so we are on verse 10, 11, 12, 14. <clears throat> nope, 11, 12, 13, 14. I don't have numbers here. Okay, yeah, 14. So chapter 28, verse 14. Uh, okay, so, and your descendants, your seed, will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out, which is another word that is used for the Jews later on with Pharaoh, that he's worried that they're going to spread out. So just keep that, keep that in mind. They will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Safona is north, though I said it wrong earlier. And all of the families of the land will bless themselves by you and by your descendants. Vehine anochi imach. Ushmarticha becholasher telech vehashivoticha el haadama hazot kilo ezavcha ad asher im asiti et asher dibarti lach. And behold, I am with you, and I will guard you and or protect you in all that you do, every place that you go, and I will bring you back, like the word teshuvah, to return. I will bring you back to this land, to this exact land. Right, ha'adama hazot, this exact land, because I will not leave you until 
I have done what I have said to you. So God is now saying, I will not leave your side until everything that I've said on my end is going to be done, I do with you. Vaikatz Yaakov mishnato vayomer, achen yesh Adonai bamakom hazeh ve'anochi lo yadati. This is a beautiful, beautiful line of Torah. And Jacob got up quickly, is what this, this word for got up means. And he got up from his sleep and he said, I know that God is in this place and I did not know before. Doesn't actually say the word before, but I'm adding that for English. I now know that God is in this place and before this moment, before this dream, before this interaction with God, I did not know. Vayira vayomar manora hamakom hazeh. Ein ze ki imbeit Elohim veze sha'ar hashamayim. And in awe, in reverence, in fear, Jacob said, how awesome. And I wrote this out specifically with the word awe first because we use the word awesome too much. And we use it in, in very flippant ways. But what it's saying is this moment is filled with awe. This place, how awesome is this exact place? This is none other than the abode of God. And that is the gateway to heaven. Shar HaShemayim. So now, what other questions do you have about these verses? What are some other kushio you have about these verses? I have a question. Yeah, uh, how is it that the dream, uh, he, he gives so much meaning to a dream? Uh, that, that's the question. Yeah, great. Yeah, why all of a sudden do we just go by something that happened in a dream, right? If we all lived our lives based on every dream we had, first of all, our dreams, I mean, our lives would be nuts, <laughs> right? Because we'd be chasing after something that's not, that potentially is not possible. But in this moment, Jacob seems to be putting his entire future in this one dream, right? And it's possible, Sam, and I don't know, but it's possible that what dreams were back then were divine interactions with God, that, that he had to be in some kind of state to have that interaction with God. And so it felt like a sleep-like moment, but that it wasn't a dream like we call a dream. But your, your question is valid. And, and yes, and we don't know, and yet for the next three or four partiote, we're going to focus all on a character whose dreams make up his life. So dreams play a very big role in the rest of Genesis, really, for us. Jen, were you going to say something? Jennifer Lowe? Yeah, Tamara, you want to say something? Just, un yeah, unmute. There you go. I'm struck by how uh, Jacob has had the strength to go out and how he is blessed with this reassurance. And I'm thinking how when young people set out into the world, wouldn't it be wonderful if they had this sense of reassurance and how special that is and how important that is? Yeah, yeah. It's nice to have somebody who's supporting you and saying, I'm going to be here with you through everything that I told you I'd be here for. I'll be here for you. Just do it. Just go out and do it and I'll be supportive. Yeah. Sandy, did you want to share something? Yes. After, and I agree with Tamar, then it says, and in fear. Yeah. Why in fear? Great. 
Great. Yeah. Why is he going? Why is he? All three of your questions actually kind of come together in a beautiful way. Why is he going with this dream that is putting so much into his relationship with God to feel that support, to feel that guidance? And yet he's in reverence of this God character, this God relationship, this fearful experience that he's having. Thank you, Sandy. Um, I see Carl and Norm. So whoever goes first. Hi, it's Carl. Hi, Carl. So my question is, why does he merit having this at this point in time? His, his life up to now has been kind of trickster, shady dealings, and suddenly he's got the, uh, you're, you're a fine fellow, I'm going to be with you story. Yeah. How come now? Yeah. What changed? Yeah, that's a it's a great it's a great question, and um, and it's I you know I wonder I wonder if there's a certain sense of well we have to feel for him because of all of that, and so God finally is recognizing that he went on this journey alone, and so we have to give him that extra push of okay you're finally doing something that I can get behind. Let me. Let me help you out with that. But yeah, beautiful, uh, beautiful question and, and very perceptive. Yeah, Norm. I agree that the timing is pretty clear because he's been until now in his parents' home, very compliant yeah. um, for the most part. But he also is somebody who this is the exception in his whole life. All the rest of the time, he's plotting and planning constantly. He's mm-hmm. making plans. He's making alternate plans. He's trying to influence other people. And this is the one place where he, you know, goes to sleep and he is acted upon. He has this vision. He gets reassurance. Whatever happens, happens. But all the rest of the time in his life, before and after, he's plotting. He's, he's you know, doing animal husbandry or influencing people. And with great success because, you know, he's the first and only of the patriarchs where all of his progeny end up staying in um, every. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, yes. I'm just going to leave your statement and say, yes, I agree. It's a, it's an Ellie. I see you. Hold on one second. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting moment in, and our Torah changes, right? It, it like flips here. This is this moment of, of change that we see how things are going to continue for us. As you just said, he's the first to allow for his his people, to, well, his people, his his children to really stay with him to keep the family mostly together. Yeah, Ellie Litov, I see you. Uh, he called the place Beit El. Um, y- yes, not yet, but yes, oh, that is true. Does. It comes next. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm a little ahead. No, that's okay. You're right. You're right. I just didn't want people to be confused. But yes, we haven't he looked at that verse yet. And then he says, it's mm-hmm. Yeah. And why is, why didn't the uh, Mikdash was built there? Only in- so, so our rabbis actually think that this is where the, where the temple was built, um, or at least somewhere near it, that, that there, and, and geography is confusing, right? Because we're not in a place that we then call Israel later on. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm saying my <clears throat> throat. 
Um, but yes, you're, you're picking up on that. They do believe that this was that the Shar HaShamayim and this idea of the Sulam being there and all those things that the Jacob actually, one of the moments of prophecy was that he knew that there was going to be a temple later than built in that exact place. And that was part of the awe that he experienced. So you're exactly right. I, I would like to add one yeah. more thing, yeah. uh, which is that. Yaakov leaves his parents. It's kind of after he's been part of a subterfuge and it's, it's a little iffy. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of it is you better get out before uh, Esav gets really mad. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and he was mad. He was what? mad. Yeah. But, you know, before he gets really mad. Yeah. And uh, I'm sometimes mad, but then I get really mad, you know. Right. Oh, yes. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah. But, and so, levels. right, exactly. So now this uh, episode, though, shows that this was all meant to be, mm. that he will be, that his going and his experience and his dreams validates his going and his importance mm-hmm. in the story of, of the people of Israel. Mm. And that he is indeed going to be the progenitor of so many peoples, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, how, how important he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. David. Oh, um, I was reading. Rashi was he was he was questioning his his fear, and he was saying that that God folded the entire land under him. I mean, we were talking about the fear of the fear of Yaakov, and it's that the fear is that Israel was not yet. A holy land. It wasn't a conquered land. They were just living there. And that's one of the reasons why they were allowed to leave, but the angels could not. The angels could only stay. Yeah. And then they could help them. And the angels going down were the ones shepherding them away. And also presently in, in our time of Gullus and exile. Um, so we're not, we're not unified yet. And also it was interesting. They were saying, um, so the land... It was only the four cubits around him. So it was just... And this is Rashi and... Um, so that's just six feet. It was just six feet that was given to him. So it's not that scary. And then Rashi says later on, um, it points that um, the whole land of Israel was folded under him in Gomorrah, it says, that in, the, in, in a literal sense, and that, uh, and that Hashem uprooted Mount Moriah and, and, and collapsed it. And that was the foundation stone, which the entire land of Israel um, 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 exponentially you know, grew from, sprouted from. Yeah, yeah. And that's where he was lying. And I, fa- I found that that was so interesting. That's that's more of a cosmic understanding. So everything physical is not exactly physical. Yeah, yeah. It's a great way of, of diving into also how the word place could also be a name for God because yes. that cosmic understanding allows us to imagine that we're not just saying, oh, this music stand or this wall is God, what we're saying is that it's about an experience in a place. It's not about the actual place, the actual ground, the actual home, the actual whatever, but it's this experience in which you're having in it or that can come from it that makes yes. it a godly experience. And that's the Bethel, and that's what yeah. he was like, Uferatsta, shall you spread forth? And that's yeah, also yeah. In, this, in this time of Gullus. And also, you know, before the land was conquered, we have to spread forth. Yeah. We have to spread forth because we aren't in a time of... Uh, of, uh, of unity and it was I was also looking at um, uh, 
we were talking about the the example between you know Yaakov had love for for Leah after she gave birth. Yeah. The love sprouted after she gave birth, and that's an example of uh, of Israel as as the wife suffering, suffering. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in Galus, and Hashem, you know, he sees he sees us suffering, and then we have to spread forth, mm-hmm. and then only with that can we can we merit you know a true a true union, a true love. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Those are beautiful scenes to even imagine. So thank you. Thank you for sharing those with us. Are there any other any other thoughts before we go? No. Okay. All right. So I want to focus on these two verses. Again, I put them in red if you're looking at the source sheet. If not, it's verse 11 and verse 16. Um, and we're going to look at these two verses because I too am struck, and David just gave a, a great transition into this. I too am struck by this idea of what makes makom a word that can be for God, right? It, it's like saying, oh, Los Angeles is now a new name for the word for God. Well, that seems bizarre, right? Why would you just say, okay, we're going to add to the list of God's names and Los Angeles is now one of them and... Tennessee is another, right? Why would you, why would you do that? Why would you add a place name to the name of God? And what the rabbis say is, well, it's not a place name. It's not Beit El, right? As Ellie pointed out, that's the name given to the place. But the word place is the name given to God. So when we look at, um, when we look at the, at the commentators, they have some pieces of wisdom on this. But remember, they are also, in this case, men who have come after the fact and are trying to do exactly what we're all doing here and answer these questions that we're never going to have answers to. So keep that in mind when we're reading through these, because they're not all going to answer the exact question. They're just going to help us kind of understand a little bit more what the context could be could be teaching us. So the Cleocar who um, lived in 17th century Prague says another reason why is it why it is sim- let me start again another reason why it is called simply the place Hamakom is because this is the place of the world. This is both because the foundation stone from which the world was founded is located there, and that even now the whole world rests on it because from there the divine abundance pours out to the world from Jacob. Right, so based on what David was just sharing with us, the clear car is taking all of that and saying, let's bring it in and let's just understand that that stone is where everything ends up coming from. That's where not creation, but us as a people come from. That's where we come from. That stone, that moment with God, that moment that Jacob puts his head down, that's where we come from. Um, he goes on to talk about how Yaakov sends that this is going to be the place for the temple. Blah, 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 blah. So you can read through this if you want. I don't want to focus on that right now. But you can read through. It's why I gave you the whole commentary. It, it's interesting. Um, but I, I'm not. I'm not here to focus on the on the temple today. So Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, which is a midrash, right? So it goes like one step further than just a commentary. Now this is a commentator who is giving um, a story based on a story says, Jacob was 77 years old when he went forth from his father's house, and the well went before him. From This is giving you context. 
From Be'er Sheva, as far as Mount Moriah, is a journey of two days, and he arrived there at midday. And the Holy One, blessed be he, met Jacob, as it is said, and he met in the place, and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. Why is the name of the Holy One called Makom? Because in every place where the righteous are, God is found with them there. As it is said in Exodus, in every place where I record my name, I will come unto thee and bless thee. Interestingly, when we were going through Psuche de Zimra, I was, I knew that I was talking about this. So I was very focused on, is there ever a moment in our prayers where we use the word makom? And unless I completely missed it, I believe the answer is no. We don't use the word makom to mean God. Yeah, Jennifer, you can think of one? Well, I was just thinking when we say hamakom yenachem etchem. Yes, yes, yes. Good, good, good. Okay, yes, well, we, yes, we'll get there. The, but there is no, we don't say baruch atah hamakom, right? There actually are subsets of Judaism now that do use that. But in our sidua that we are using, we don't use the word makom to be the word for the God that we are praying to. Which is fascinating when you think about what this dream was and what happened during this dream. I would imagine that that would actually be the exact name that we should be using because it would bring us back to this place of connection, this place of spiritual relationship. Whereas when we say the word Adonai or we say the word Elohim, we have come to know those as names for relational God moments. But hamakom is really the word that allows us to see that there is righteousness in this moment. And if prayer is not righteousness, then, then what is? Right? If, you're, if you can't bless an apple before you eat it with intentionality and, and use the word makom, then where is makom being used to, to share with us this kind of idea that that is righteousness. Norm, did you want to say something? Yes. Go ahead. You sing, Baruch HaMakom Baruch Hu, Baruch Yisrael. Yeah, right. So similar to HaMakom Yenachem, we use it in, in moments of prayer, but not in a typical not in a typical prayer formula, so to speak, right? And and this idea for hamakom yenachem, I actually read about this when I was looking up um, I, the word and, and how it's used, that the reason that makom is used in that context, and, and I'm guessing also in the context of, that Norm just saying for us, is because it's not just about the one person saying hamakom yenachem, it's that the person who's receiving those words should feel comfort by anything that provides them comfort, right? So these are the words that we say to someone who is in mourning, and we say, We're saying that all of the other people who are mourning along with you, that they should also feel support. But the reason that it's hamakom is because it should be found in moments of of space, right? Where, whether that's in Shiva or with people surrounding you or with community coming together or moments found with your family to connect to that person. And it's that, that's such a powerful use of this word makom because that brings God into a very different 
kind of relationship. It's a very different nickname for God than the others that we have. Any any thoughts or comments before I move on to another commentary? I just don't want to gloss over anybody. <clears throat> no? Okay. So <clears throat> now I'm going to shift for a second into the Olim and Yordim because I believe that they're connected. I believe this idea that the angels went from the ground up as opposed to the up down actually gives meaning to the word makom and why it's a god name. Okay, so Chizkuni, who's from the 13th century uh, living in France, says, Olim veyordimbo, they ascended and they descended on it, on this sulam, which we don't know what that, what that is. They first ascended and then descended. Afterwards, they remained at the bottom. They behaved like a human being who climbs a ladder in his house to get to the loft and then descends on it again. Right? You don't start at the top of a ladder, you start at the bottom of a ladder. This is what led Yaakov to understand that this location was intended to become God's house on earth. He surmised that for the time being, this was the residence of the angels he had seen. Angels, servants of, of God, must have their residence in God's house. If God was to establish a residence on earth also, they would have to ascend to heaven first in order to accompany their Lord to God's alternate residence. If these angels were meant to only briefly remain on earth, the Torah should have described their movements as yordim ve'olim, descending and then ascending. The I assume this is the Yerushalmi, but it says the, the Jerusalem Targum understands this function. A commentator um, who used different words than we have, uh, similar to like what Unklus does, understands the function of these angels as having been to accompany Yaakov from here on in wherever he went. The reason that they ascended was to relay their messages to other angels in the celestial spheres that they had been assigned to descend to earth. They were to show them that there was a human being of the stature of Yaakov on earth. They would recognize him at once as a likeness of his features had long been engraved at the base of God's throne. So the last the last part is obviously clearly clearly midrash. And, well, the whole the whole thing is is grandiose commentary, but the the idea here that angels come from us and come from moments that we could have in hamakom, in a place of divine intervention or spirituality. Right? When we talk about people being made in the image of God, when I look at one of your faces, I don't think to myself, oh, that must be what God's nose looks like, or that must be the shape of God's ears. But it's in the interaction that I have with you that shows you that I believe that you are made in the image of God. It's not actually about the likeness. It's about the fact that I can engage with you and that makes that a holy interaction. So these angels are present. They're present right now. They're present in any moment that is made holy because they come from us and then they go to God. They dwelled with Jacob. They were with Jacob. And then they brought that holiness to God. 
which is a beautiful way of understanding angels because we imagine that angels bring godliness to us. We never imagine that we bring holiness to God. Offer, and, yeah, go ahead, Larry. You can I offer <laughs> an alternative interpretation? Yeah, you may. Um, so the angels who are the messengers or are accompanying him, yeah. they leave him. Yeah. And they go up the Sulam. Yeah. And when they come down, who do they bring? So they bring Adonai, yud Hey vav Hey. Yeah. And I'm very attuned to the differences in the way in which we write and talk about God, which in English we gloss over because yeah. we just use the word G-O-D all the time. Yeah. But now it's Adonai who's standing next to him. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why nobody's commenting on the fact that that was their mission, to go up to the heavens, to mm -hmm. bring Hashem Adonai, yud Hey vav Hey, mm -hmm. next to Jacob, mm -hmm. who then says, I am... Okay, I am the God. He doesn't say, I am Yudhe He says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, which is bizarre, and the God of Isaac, mm -hmm. etc. So that was their mission all along. And the place, in terms of Hamakom, for me, yeah. is not a substitute for God. It's a substitute for the embodiment of godliness. So when we say Hamakom Yilechem Etchem, we're not, in my opinion, not really saying, may Hashem, Adonai, right. um, comfort you. We're right. saying, may this place that you are as a mourner right now, with us standing around you, mm -hmm. may this comfort you. And this is a godly thing. It's not God as a character. I 100% agree with you, and you probably just said it more eloquently, but that's exactly what I meant when I explained Hamakom Yenachem. That's exactly how I imagine it. And you're right that, that the angels, the next, what, what Larry's referring to is that in the next verse, it says, Olim veyordimbo vehine Adonai nitzav alav. Right, that, that, they cut, that they go up and then they come down, and all of a sudden God's standing right next to him or on top of him. And, and yet I think that, I think that they are, that they are bringing God and maybe that's even more special than bringing holiness up, right? Maybe they are saying to God, there's something really great happening on the ground down here that we've now seen and we've been part of. And all we need is for you to be part of it. So can you come down and be part of it with us? And had they started at the top, who knows if if they would have come down, if God had come down, whatever it would have been. But the fact that angels can be seen as these messengers of holiness or spirituality or recognition of wanting connection of spirituality, right? When, when Rebecca can't have a baby or when, um, when Rachel is so upset that Leah gets pregnant so fast and she can't, it's not an angel that shows up. God's right there. So the fact that the angels have to go and get him, maybe that shows that, that God might have missed out on this one. And so the angels needed to be able to, to bring God into the picture. Yeah, Diane. So this notion of Macomb is interesting because we are such not a Macomb 
centered religion. Yeah. Uh, um, first of all, in, in that our synagogues, not all, but typically are not overly ornate. We didn't build cathedrals to, right. to provide a, a um, I don't know, some spiritual house. And also so much of our ritual life centers on our homes. Mm-hmm. So, so we are not a Macomb centered place, except that, except in the sense of Macomb being where we are. So that's, that's how I, that's how I imagine it. And that's actually why I think we are a Macomb centered religion, because I think that it's, it's not about the Macomb, right? The Macomb is God, right? Ha Macomb is a name for God. But the idea of bringing God into each of these places allows that place to be a residence for Hamakom, which if you say it in English, it's, there's a lot of redundancy there. But if you say it in Hebrew, you can, you can hear how in, in each of our little squares right now, right, there is some element of godliness and spirituality. And that means that in each home, there is also Hamakom. And if we were in a sanctuary, sure, we would all be together and it would be very lovely and it would be in that one place. But exactly what you're saying is what's so profound, and that is that this is the type of God that's found in all these different, quote, places. Henry, I saw your hand and then I'm going to move on. Yeah. So I think um, I think trying to, to dissect the different names a little bit more the way I would interpret this, um, and I hadn't really thought about this, of course, until this morning either, so thank you. <laughs> um, the Hamakom point that we that we say during morning only exists because we are there as a group of people in God's um, in godliness, basically directing our own thoughts to the mourner. Mm-hmm. So we are bringing godliness into the space in the context of Makom. When we say Abraha. We're not directing it to other people's godliness. We're directing it to the God of the universe Mm -hmm. and appreciating what we have or asking for what we have from the God of the universe, not an individual or a community per se. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's another way to separate out these two meanings of, of the word is that God Adonai is the God of the entire universe. And we're addressing it to him or her or it. But when we deal with Macomb, we're dealing with the community of godliness that we dwell in. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I think together with you and Larry, you could write a beautiful, a beautiful note about how we, we even during this pandemic, we are all we are all creating creating moments of Hamakom. Okay, I want to bring two last pieces. Um, one of them is from a Midrash, Breshit Rabbah, and the other one is actually from Rabbanit Alyssa Thomas Newborn, who's the Rabbanit of B'nai David. I was, again, I was looking up different moments of use of Hamakom, and she wrote on, um, on this exact same topic a few years ago for my Jewish learning, and I want to, I want to bring her words also. So in Breshit Rabbah, it says, Rav Huna said this in the name of Rab- Rabbi Ami. What is the reason that we give the Blessed Holy One the name Makom? It is because God is the place of God's world. I'll read that one more time. God is the place of God's world. Rabbi Yitzchak said, We cannot decide whether the Blessed Holy One is the place of the world or whether the world is the Blessed Holy One's place. 
However, when Moses said in Psalms 90, Adonai, you have been a place of refuge for us throughout the generations. We were taught that the blessed Holy One is the place of the world and not vice versa. So if, you, if you're a visual learner and you couldn't see that, that might have been hard to follow. <laughs> but the, the, it would have been hard for me to follow as a visual learner. But the, the most important part of this Midrash is that God is the place of God's world, not the other way around. It's not that the world was created and God is in it, but it's the opposite that God, within God, and this kind of goes back to what David was saying about the stone, that it becomes that centerpiece for all that comes after Jacob, that God, our relationship with God, is where all these things can stem from, where that spirituality can stem from, where those relationships can stem from, the support that we might feel in those moments of hamakom yenachem, that holiness, which is what makes the olim and yordim so interesting because it didn't have to just be in that one place. It could be right here in my brother's bedroom and my parents' house, right? It doesn't have to be that it's in a special sanctuary or a special uh, you know, place in Israel where they're going to write about it many, many years later. It can be that right now, if I bring enough holiness to this moment, but also what this what this Midrash is, is telling us to do is not just in this moment, but when I leave this room, that the rest of my day is also filled with that holiness and that spirituality, then I have in fact brought Hamakom to my day, to my moment, to my experience. Because in that way, God has become my world. Now it's not saying to make God everything that you do in the world, right? It's important to interact with humans and, and, to, and to be grounded. But it's saying that from that relationship that you might have in spiritual moments, that your, quote, world can be created. Rabbanit Alyssa says, Jacob shows us that being a Jew, being in covenant with God, means cultivating the capacity to see the place, capital the, capital place, in the places, seeing that which is mundane as a window into holiness. May we, she says, like Jacob, recognize God's presence and guidance in our lives, and may we be open to the things we don't intend to happen being the experiences we cherish most. So what I want to leave you all with before we end with a little Ankelohenu and Alenu is we are right now in a moment where we're not gathering in, in a place that we might call holy. You might be in your kitchen, you might be in your living room, you might be in a place where you do very mundane things the rest of the week, and yet on Shabbat, you bring that holiness to that space. And just because we can't be in a sanctuary and just because we can't be in a synagogue, right, a building that was made for these spiritual moments, doesn't mean that spiritual moments can't be found in every moment. That in every place, there is hamakom. That in every moment, we have an element of God able to bring us that support, that security, that enabling for us to feel as though we are connected somehow. 
So especially on Thanksgiving, when a lot of us were in our individual homes, I hope, I hope, I hope that you are able to continue finding ways to make your place, whatever that place is, a makom, a makom kavua, as we suggested to you on the high holidays, a place that is just yours for these moments of spirituality and that you feel as though even if you don't believe in angels or you don't believe in the idea that what you do on earth somehow affects what is happening with God, that you recognize that that which you are doing does affect those around you. And just like the angels, that it comes first from you and then goes out. And so we need to bring spirituality into all that we do so that that which we put out into the world is positive and makes positive change. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for doing 58 minutes of learning with me. It's lovely to be able to learn with all of you always. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA.org. LA.org.